Hey there, before we get started, we want to take a moment to thank you for tuning in to the Kuhau Podcast. We hope it encourages you and draws you closer to Jesus as you listen. Let's get excited for this message and let's get ready to hear from God. Why don't you open to Acts chapter 2, 1 through 4. We're going to begin today unpacking this scripture. Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. It says, on the day, it went away. On the day Pentecost was being fulfilled, all the disciples were gathered in one place. Suddenly, they heard the sound of a violent wind, blast of wind. That, that word's going to be important, so I want you to pay attention to this description. A violent blast of wind rushing into the house from out of the heavenly realm. The roar of the wind was so overpowering, it was all anyone could bear then all at once a pillar of fire that's the second thing to pay attention to a violent wind and a pillar of fire appeared before their eyes it separated into tongues of fire that engulfed each one of them they were all filled and equipped with the holy spirit and were inspired to speak in tongues empowered by the spirit to speak in languages they had never heard so in this moment i'm gonna i'm gonna jump to the next few verses but there is a bunch of jewish followers of jesus getting together or i should say jewish followers um from different locations different nations all one faith but different countries and what some onlookers begin to notice is that there are people speaking different languages that they had never learned. And so in chapter 10, it picks up the, this group of people, these onlookers, they all stood there dumbfounded and astonished, saying to one another, what is this phenomenon? But others poked fun at them and said, they're just drunk on new wine. Let's pray. Lord, I, I thank you for this word. And I just ask that above all, Lord, that you will move. That if we have people, and I know that we do, Lord, today, that are hungry for you and want an encounter with you today, Lord, I ask that you will fulfill that request and make yourself known today, Lord. And that we may, that we may just be closer to you today. In your name we pray, amen. You know, last time I was up here, I talked about reading and some things that people do. We have any, like, people who are into puzzles? I know, like, Lee, Pastor Lee loves jigsaw puzzles. We got any puzzle people, Riddlers? Can't see a star. You got to make noise, yeah. Um, I've been obsessed with this game, and like all my obsessions, you know, when it becomes my obsession, I have to make it everybody's obsession. So I've made it my mission. I, I evangelize, I preach the gospel, but I also preach this game called Wordle. Uh, and I've gotten all my friends hooked on it. Every day we're sending each other these text messages because you can share your score. And, and really quickly, just so you can know what I'm talking about, it's a guessing game. You have to guess the word of the day. You go online. Ooh, now I'm preaching. I can get everybody on it. Listen, all right? If you get nothing else from this moment, go to, go to Wordle. Just Google Wordle. You'll find it. You have to guess the word of the day. It's, five, it's always a five-letter word. You get six attempts. 
And what I, I, I love it because it's simple. What I also love is it's deceptively simple. And you will never, like, there, if you ever want to check on how overcomplicated you can be, you play this game. Because I will be making up the weirdest, most randomest words. Yvette was playing the other day. She was like, I did not know. I knew that many words that had those four letters in them until today. And you just, what I love about it is it can be such a simple word. The other day, the word was boost. And I spent like all the morning, all the afternoon trying to figure out this word. I had B, I had O, I had S, I had T. I'm like, what is this fifth letter? And then, and then Amanda had to tell me, she was like, you don't need a new letter. You could just, re I was like, oh, I could just reuse the O and I get boost. I'm over here trying to find a 27th letter. <laughs> we overcomplicate things and I love it. The psych major in me loves seeing what it does to people. Uh, there's a riddle that I actually want to share with you guys for this example. Um, here it is. You ready? What is four letters, sometimes nine letters, never five letters? I'm going to repeat it. What is four letters, sometimes nine letters, never five letters? Now, I'm not going to give you the answer now, but I am curious. Does anyone think they might know the answer? Does anyone think they have the answer? Unless you've already been told this was actually already told to me. So, okay. So far, no hands raised. Online, no hands raised. If you're in the chat, you think you know the answer. Just say, I do, but don't give it away. So here's, here's the biggest hint, and I'll actually give you the, the answer later on in the message. That's how I keep them tuned in online. They're like, now nah, I got to know what this answer is. You can't Google it, don't open up a new tab. Um, here's the biggest hint, and it actually, I'm using this because I think it ties so perfectly into my message, because the, the hint to this is, we, I just think as humans, we're overcomplication machines. And what's happening in this moment in Acts is the Holy Spirit is descending upon people and it says that people are dumbfounded. Even it says that people are making fun of them because they're so confused. But what Peter has to do is show them the answer to this confusing thing. But as we're about to read, he doesn't give them an explanation so much as that his explanation is that what they're perceiving is the answer to a problem the Israelites had been waiting for for such a long time. And so what he says is actually, you're puzzled by the answer. You're puzzled by what's happening right in front of you, but what's happening right in front of you is an answer. And, and it's better if I go into the scripture, Acts chapter 2, verse 14 he says, it says, Peter stood up with the 11 apostles and shouted to the crowd, listen carefully, my fellow Jews. He's invoking their Jewishness into this. And residents of Jerusalem, you need to clearly understand what's happening here. These people are not drunk like you think they are for it's only nine o'clock in the morning. He continues, 
This, this is his explanation. This is the fulfillment of what was prophesied through the prophet Joel. For God says, this is what I will do in the last days. I will pour out my spirit on everybody and cause your sons and daughters to prophesy. And your young men will see visions and your old men will experience dreams for God. The Holy Spirit will come upon all my servants, men and women alike, and they will prophesy. Peter points to a prophecy in Joel to tell them the thing that you're confused by is the thing that we Israelites, we Jews, have been waiting to come to pass. We have been waiting to see the fulfillment. What you're confused and puzzled by is the very fulfillment of God's word. He tells them what you're confused by is actually the very thing we've been waiting for. The title of today's talk is The Moment We've All Been Waiting For. See, if you were a Jew, and I love that he invokes the Jew, their Jewness, he says, my fellow Jews, there were some things you would have known. And, and as non-Jews, we just, we missed the context. Like, as a Jew, you would have known and memorized all of scripture. And so you would have known about Genesis and how Genesis recorded the fall of humanity and how since then humanity would have had spiraled and spiraled and spiraled from, from Noah, Noah's time and on, humanity spiraled. But in the midst of this fall, God had made a promise to this person named Abraham that he would bless Abraham but not only Abraham, but through Abraham would form the nation of Israel. And through that nation, whatever, he, he would use them to bless the world. That, that God, in the midst of humanity's fall, planned to reconcile the world through Abraham. If you were a Jew, you knew this. And you also knew about Exodus to Numbers. And how Exodus shows the deliverance of, of Israel out of Egypt. As a matter of fact, that's, that's the primary reason for the Pentateuch being written. The first five books, you would have known that, that Israel had spent 400 years in Egypt as slaves in their customs and their cultures. And, and the first five books are attributed to Moses. And, and scholars say that he wrote this book to remind Israel. So if you were a Jew, you would have known that the, the, those first five books were to remind you of God's promise after spending 400 years with people who worshipped other gods and did other things that you would have known about Mount Sinai and how at Mount Sinai, in the midst of God's desire to reconcile humanity, he calls Israel up the mountain. And what's at that mountain because God's presence is at the top of Mount Sinai. You read it in Numbers, is fire and wind. It's a storm. But what you read, it, it blows me away because, you know, I have questions, like Marquez said as he introduced me. I got questions sometimes, like, Lord, why'd you have to go through Abraham? Why'd you have to go through Moses? Why, why, why? But then you read these little obscure verses in Numbers, and in Numbers, it says that God speaks to all of Israel from the top of the mountain. And Israel looks at Moses, the, the people 
of Israel look at Moses and they say, you go up. Because we're scared that God will kill us. It's in there. It's in Numbers 20. They say, you go up, Moses. And, and whatever God says to you, we'll trust you. And they deny and refuse the access that God is trying to give them. And Moses says, no, 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 you don't have to be scared. And, and then I love, like, the artistry of the Bible because it goes, Moses says, do not be afraid. But the Israelites still stood far off from the cloud that was over the mountain. And so if you were a Jew observing what was going on at the day of Pentecost, you knew how as much as God was attempting to reconcile, Israel always pulled away. And you would have known that all of the Hebrew Bible records Israel's failure to be the people that were supposed to lead the world back in reconciliation to God, what, what actually ended up happening is Israel continuously would fall into coveting and becoming like the nations around them. And so you would have known this, and you would have also known that in spite of yet another failure on part of Israel, there was a prophesied Messiah. That all through scripture, Isaiah, the books of the prophets, prophecies like Joel, you would have known that there was a Messiah who would one day do what humanity was never able to do. That one day, the, book, the words of Joel would come true and the words of prophecies like David would come true. You would have known this. And it's why Peter quotes Joel and he quotes David. In Acts chapter 2, verse 20, 31, he says, so when peering into the future, David prophesied of the Messiah's resurrection and God revealed to him that the Messiah would not be abandoned to the realm of death, nor would his body experience decay. Can't you see it? God has resurrected Jesus and we have all seen him. Then God exalted him to his right hand upon the throne of the highest honor. And the Father gave him the authority to send the promised Holy Spirit, which is being poured out upon us today. This is what you're hearing and seeing. This is the moment that Israel had been waiting for, for 400 years. It's why when Mary gets the news that she's going to be the, the, the mother to the Messiah, she's she leaps with joy and she begins to sing with her sister because they had been waiting for so long. And it was all leading up to this moment. Hebrews records Jesus' crucifixion and in it it says, for the joy that was set before Jesus, he endured the cross. And I, and I really believe, church, that this was the joy. What's going on in Acts chapter 2, that the Holy Spirit is now being able to be poured out, that this was the moment that Israel had been waiting for. And there's no more blockade of sin. There's nothing to separate them anymore from the presence of God, that this was the day that God's Spirit would dwell in his people, that God's Spirit would dwell within them, no longer in a tabernacle. 
Because if you were a Jew, you also knew that for years, the way to experience God was not where you were, but in a temple. Because, again, because of the fear and the constant running and the distancing from God, God would confine himself into a, a temple or a tabernacle. And what's really interesting about that is that in the New Testament, when they talk about God dwelling, they use this word in Greek, in their language, that in, within that language is actually a double entendre. It, it's not just a word that means to dwell. It also doubles as a word that means tent. And so, so the writers would say God is tenting with us. And like, to us, okay, God, God likes to camp. What does that mean? It means nothing. But if you were a Jew, you knew that the tabernacle was a tent, that all of what was designed to be the presence of God was a tent. And so God is dwelling within us, but that wordplay is supposed to signify that God now tents with us, which is supposed to tell us that we're now his tabernacle. We're now his temple. It's not a place that you have to go to on a Sunday. It's not a priest that you have to see. It's a place that you now embody. That It was the day that God poured out his Holy Spirit. And, and with, like I said, pay attention to those words, right? It says that there was a wind and that there was fire. And all throughout the Hebrew Bible, all throughout the Old Testament, wherever you see wind... Wherever you see fire, you see the presence of God. And so what Acts is trying to say, so why, why all this exposition, Reuben? Because we're not Jewish. But when you read Acts through the Jewish lens, what you see is not just fire and wind, but you see the full, unadulterated presence of God, not on a mountain, not on a hilltop, not talking to Moses, but talking to all the disciples. Every single one of them that were there were covered with a pillar of fire. Every single one of them were, that were there were speaking with tongues of fire because every single one of them there were filled with the joy that was set before Jesus. The day that God's spirit would dwell in his people. And I say his people. Because if you were a Jew, you knew that the Jews were chosen. Israelites were God's chosen people. And so this happens because God never goes back on his word. He told Abraham through the nation of Israel, he would bless the world. And so he blesses Israel first. And then this moment leads to a moment that the Jews would not expect. In Acts chapter 10, Verses 42, we pick up some background information. There's this non-Jewish guy named Cornelius. And this is where it gets good for us. Because I've been talking about the Jews, and that was the moment that needed to happen before this moment could happen. But this is the moment that has to do with us. See, there's this non-Jew who for centuries, non-Jews had no access. As a matter of fact, when Peter goes to visit this man, Cornelius, he says, you know I'm not supposed to associate with you. But because of the vision that I had before you sent for me, I'm here. 
And so when you, and I encourage you guys to read this all in its context for the sake of time, I can't go deep. But Cornelius has a vision from God because he's been seeking God. And God says, hey, send for this man named Peter. And this is the same Peter that has walked with Jesus. The same Peter that's there at the day of Pentecost explaining what the Jews have been waiting for is the same Peter that gets sent to, to Cornelius. And while that's happening, Peter's also having this vision from God to, to no longer call unclean what God deems worthy, what do, God deems clean. And so when Cornelius sends for him, he says, this is it. This is the moment. And so what Peter does is tell him about Jesus. And in verse 42, Peter says this to him. He says, Jesus ordered us to preach and warn the people and God that God had appointed him to be the judge of the living and the dead. And not only us, but all the prophets agree in their writings that everyone who believes in him receives complete forgiveness of sins through the power of his name. While Peter was speaking, the Holy Spirit cascaded over all those listening to his message. The Jewish brothers who had accompanied Peter were astounded that the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out on people who weren't Jews. For they heard them speaking in supernaturally given languages and passionately praising God. Peter said, how could anyone object to these people being baptized? For they have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he instructed them to be baptized in the power of the name of Jesus. See, I think Christianity has been around for so long that we miss the moment. Like how big this moment was. That, that for so long, non-Jews were not invited to the party. And, and there's reasons behind all that. One, because Jews were supposed to be carrying the gospel and, and preaching God. And, and they kept dropping the ball. But for so long, non-Jews did not have access. For so long, even Jews did not have direct access. And in this moment, because of what Jesus has done, he, is now, he has now removed the blockade that has enabled each and every one of us, not just Cornelius, not just the disciples, but Pastor Marquez, but, but Danny Ray and Stephen, but Louis Fideli, but Teresha, every single one of us, all of us online, now have access to the Holy Spirit. And it took this long. It took this momentous work. And it wasn't something that was just passive. It was unexpected. The Jewish people here in this moment are astonished at what is happening. It's unheard of to them. They were astonished when it even happened to them. And now they're even astonished what happens to other people. So much so that when Peter goes back, he has to explain himself. They're like, what are you, what are you, what are you doing, Peter? And I would just think that the guy who walked with Jesus got, like, you, you could give him a cosign on whatever he does, right? Like, you would think, you know what? He did spend three years discipled by Jesus. I, I'm going to trust him. But no, they question him. And he has to tell them. In Acts chapter 11, he explains himself. He says, shortly after I began to speak, the Holy Spirit was poured out upon them, just like what had happened to us at the beginning. So I concluded that if God is pleased to give them the same 
gift of the Holy Spirit that he gave us after they believed in the Lord. Who am I to stand in the way of God? And when they heard this, their objections were put to rest. And they all glorified God, saying, look at what God has done. He's giving the gift of repentance that leads to life to people who aren't even Jews. And the rest is history, right? But, but I really want to want to drill in like I've said that this is the moment that the Israelites were waiting for and this is the moment that we didn't even know as non like I just was born right like I didn't know any of this history but I, I really believe what has taken place at this point what the author is trying to show too is that this was the moment that God had been waiting for because when you look at Genesis he doesn't give Adam and Eve ten commandments he doesn't tell Adam and Eve to build a tabernacle so that his presence. He doesn't tell Adam and Eve that there's rules and he just says don't eat from this tree. But for the rest of their days, it seems like the design and the plan was for Adam and Eve and all of humanity because he tells them be fruitful and multiply to commune with God, to be in relationship with God, to have access to God and his spirit. And then the fall happened. And so, and there's so many scriptures that talk about God and his patience, how through his patience he waited for the time of Jesus, that through his mercy he waited for the time of Jesus, that God is forever patient with us. And we, I look at this moment and it leaves me so in awe of God because it took a millennia, it took centuries, it took years for God to finally have the moment he had always desired for him and humanity in the first place. The moment that, that we could just be together. The moment that we could just be in relationship. The moment that humanity would just be restored. Not just Israel. Not just a select people. Not just the holy ones. But all of humanity could now be conduits and, and people where his spirit dwelt. This was the moment he'd been waiting for. This is the moment that, that he could walk us back to Eden. And, uh, what's crazy about Eden, and I, I think it's so underrated, that, that Adam and Eve are no longer allowed to be in the Garden of Eden. Eden is this place. It's paradise. It's where heaven meets earth. It's where the presence of God is fully made known. And when Adam and Eve, Eve leave the Garden, God doesn't stay in Eden. He goes with them. He covers them and he follows them. And wherever humanity's wickedness is, God is still present. That no matter how much we failed him, God always goes to where people are failing him and waiting and waiting until finally he says, and we read in so many prophetic books, in, in books like Isaiah, in books like Ezekiel, in books like Jeremiah, where God says, I'll do it. I'll fulfill the part of the covenant that humanity has never been able to fill. I'll be the perfect one. I'll embody, I'll wrap myself in flesh, and I'll live out this agreement for their sake. I'll write my commandments on their heart so that we can just be together. And I, I think... I think we missed that. Because I've just been there 
Like I give my life to God and I'm like, okay, God, now what do you want from me? I'll give it all to you. But his, his, his whole message is, no, I already gave it all for you. And I fall into this trap of, I got to do this, and I got to do that. If I want to be a preacher, I need to do this. Is the church growing enough? Is the church... When God is saying, no, 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 the, the whole point of this message is, I restored humanity so that we could be in relationship. That my spirit can just pour out over you and that I could dwell within you. And I, I said the rest was history because truly history... Church history. I wish like, you know, like it ended in Revelation, but the fact of the matter is that Christianity still continues. And then this work, if I'm looking at why is it that we complicate these things. Remember I opened with, we are over complication machines. And what you find is that the church takes this gospel that humanity in the midst of their failure Jesus came and did what we could not do and poured out his spirit. And then we began to complicate it. And we began to complicate it and tangle it and overthink it and overthink the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives. There are debates. There are debates on the Holy Spirit that people in the theological community have. There are overcomplications of who the Holy Spirit is and, and all these things. And I think we overcomplicated it. And to show you, I'm going to give you the answer to my riddle. You guys been waiting for that? What is four letters, sometimes nine letters, never five letters? It took me two days, and I didn't figure it out. I had to be given the answer. And what I found was I was making a problem and a puzzle out of a statement, not a question. You see, what is four letters? W-H-A-T. Sometimes nine letters. S-O-M-E-T-I-M-E-S. -E Never five letters. N-E-V-E-R. But I think, I know, I know, I know. But I think that this is what we've done to the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives. That we've turned what were statements, what were meant to be things to just embrace and accept into questions and rules and commandments and doctrines and theological reasons to separate from someone else. But the fact of the matter is that when they were in the room and Holy Spirit descended on them, they weren't doing anything but worshiping God. That all Cornelius did was seek God and say, Lord, I want more of you. And God showed up. And what did Cornelius do to receive the Holy Spirit? Did he speak in tongues first? No, he just listened to Peter and Peter preached the gospel and all of the sudden as Peter is preaching the gospel the Holy Spirit cascades upon them they did nothing to receive it I don't even know like the other dude were just his entourage Cornelius sent for Peter the other dudes were just there and they received the Holy Spirit 
And they weren't baptized to receive the Holy Spirit. It was in Peter seeing that they received the Holy Spirit that said, why not be baptized? And we've overcomplicated the role of the Holy Spirit. And I say we, but I just mean history because I, this was a thing that was handed down to us. But I think when you look at all through scripture, you see that the role of the Holy Spirit is to lead us and just make us aware of God's presence. In Galatians 5.25, Paul, after giving, and we did, a, we did a series on Galatians, so you guys should be experts now, right? Paul, in Galatians 5, unpacks, like, here's, here's what the fruit of the flesh is, here's what of the fruit of the spirit is, it's all these things, uh, the, the flesh leads to all these other things, here's all these things. He unpacks it. And that, and I, and I love May's transparency, that was something that in her upbringing was used and turned into legalism. And this is what you need to be producing if you're filled with the Holy Spirit. But it doesn't say that. It says the Holy Spirit produces these things in you. And in Galatians 5.25, he says, he concludes this long diatribe of this list and says, if the Spirit is the source of our life, we must also allow him to direct every aspect of our lives. It's that simple. That we simply, one, does anybody here believe that the Holy Spirit is the source of your life? That it's through the Holy Spirit that the presence of God has been made known in you? So you know how you get over your anger? You know how do you get over your unforgiveness? You know how you get over the sin that you've been dealing with with years? You just continue to allow the Spirit to direct every aspect of your life because when he's leading he's not going to direct me to those things he's not going to produce those things in my life and it's a very biblical concept like it's just all throughout scripture that when i do the right thing i'm being led by the spirit and when i do the wrong thing i'm being led by me i'm not being led by ruach i'm being led by ruben And it's just, it's just a very practical thing. They're not worried. They understand that, yes, we are the new creation. Yes, we are being made new, but Jesus still has to come back. And so there's this paradoxical state of being in renewal, which means I'm in renewal. I'm not the old thing. I'm not who I was anymore, but I'm still moving from glory to glory, newer and newer versions of Reuben. And so that paradox of renewal as we, as we come and land this plane, it means I need to be in tune to the Holy Spirit. Because here's, here's what the Holy Spirit does. When you look at scripture, and you can look at even books like John, Jesus himself says this about, himself, about what the Holy Spirit does. But in simple terms, uncomplicated, through the Holy Spirit, the life of Jesus, the only life that was perfect and able to complete it. It's the only life that was able to do this thing. And through the Holy Spirit, the life of Jesus is made alive in us. 
That's what it is. How can I be more like Jesus? What is the role of the Spirit in my life? He empowers me to live the life that Reuben... He just can't do, like, I, I love Paul because Paul's real. He says, what I want to do, what I know I, I should do, I don't. And what I, I, I know I shouldn't do, I do. And the standard that James set for living holy is, like, it's unlivable. James says that, that if you know to do right, this is my pastoral answer, by the way. If you ask me, Reuben, what's a sin? Is this a sin? Is that a sin? I'm just going to quote James from now on. If you know to do right and don't do it, you're guilty of sin. I sin probably like every five milliseconds based off that standard. If you know to do the right thing and you don't do it, Reuben cannot produce that fruit. I, I can't. Like I've tried. And there is like, there is just a thing. Especially once, you know, once you get triggered, like people take you there. I can't. I can't. But that's as long as I'm driving the ship. That's as long as I'm leading. But I need to let him lead. And until Jesus comes, uh, there's so many scriptures that say continue to work. There's a scripture that says work out your salvation as God works it through you. There's scriptures that say that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. So we know the promise of Jesus is to return. But what do we got to do? We just got to keep letting the Holy Spirit lead us. To do that, I got to be able to differentiate Reuben from Ruach. And so I got to be in tune. As, as the worship team comes up, I'm going to close here. There are four things. And these are not, I just, I just, I get so scared because I'm like, man, we overcomplicate this thing. We do. These are not commandments. These are not, well, if you don't do these things in your life, Holy Spirit just won't speak to you. Cornelius had done none of them. He said, Lord, and Lord showed up. But these are four things that when you look through all scripture, four principles, four habits, that four pillars that believers, especially in the New Testament when seeking the Holy Spirit, that they practice, and in these moments, they were in tune to the Holy Spirit. There's even a scripture in Acts where it says they were praying and fasting together and the Holy Spirit spoke to them. Just said, said this one thing to the whole community. He said, oh, set aside Paul and Barnabas. But it's these four things. And I've listed them in order, from, in order of difficulty. So prayer. Prayer is probably the easiest thing that has been the most complicated. Prayer is simply talking to God. And if you don't know how to pray, what's crazy is scripture says that Holy Spirit will pray for you. That he intercedes for us when we don't know what to pray. That through groans, just, just through, just do that to God. Holy Spirit will come in and translate that to everything that you need that you didn't even know you need. And so prayer, here's my simple prayer. Here, you ready? I'm going to sell this online. You ready? Just five-day devotional prayer. You ready? Help. That's it. Just help. Help. 
Hey, I don't know what to pray, Lord. I don't know what to do. Maybe just I'm here. God, I'm here. God, speak. That's prayer. That's just talking to God. Hey, you know we could tell God late at night? You up? Just talk to him. Just talk to him. And the next thing is fasting. And I don't know if you heard, but there's this church in Staten Island that recently started a Daniel fast. So it's the perfect time to get on board with fasting. And I, I don't know what it is about fasting. I, like, I, I do not, I, I've tried to find scripture, uh, scriptures that, that will explain it. I just know they, it just shows the example of it. But I just know it works. You know, like, I, and, and I realize things like, I don't know how DoorDash works. I know my food shows up. And I'm able to see the little guy commute. I see him get stuck at, a, stuck at a traffic light. I text him like, bro, what's going on? You shouldn't have even taken that way. I just know it works. And there's just something about fasting, giving up control. Because there's nothing like saying like, okay, Lord, you're going to be in charge of my sustenance. Because if there's one thing we know how to do in, the, in this modern world is feed ourselves. Speaking of DoorDash, like that's something, I don't pray to God for that. I get, I get checked, like, aren't you supposed to pray before your meal? I'm like, I, I prayed on the way here. Because you, you have so much control of where to eat. You can DoorDash, you, you can Uber Eats, you can go to a restaurant, you don't even have to cook. And if you want to cook, we, we don't hunt anymore. Isn't that crazy? We even think that's a step up. Like, no, you, didn't, you did not make that cow yourself. You bought it from the grocery store first. You didn't ground that beef. And so when the second we say, like, Lord, you're going to be in control of this thing that's so vital to me that I honestly have so much control over. I just have so much. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give it up to you. You're going to be in charge of my sustenance. I'm going to trust you every single day. And if you're the type of person that gets hangry, that's a new level of trust. something about fasting it just makes you so aware and so sensitive to Holy Spirit and the last two I'm going in order of what's more difficult studying scripture and I put it here because it's easy to read the Bible but I've, I've learned in the last year and a half year and a half after getting my bachelor's at Nyack College a Christian school minoring in Bible that it's really difficult to read the Bible correctly. It's very easy to read the Bible with my lens and my bias and read the Bible as a fortune cookie. Lord, speak to me. I'm just going to find the verses that I like. Lord, tell me all about me. But the Bible was not written to us. It was written to people. Paul addressed those letters to people. And so it's very much for us, but there's so much context loaded. Like, I just think it's weird when I see fire and wind showing up. That means nothing to me, but to a Jew, that meant everything. That was the presence of God. And that's just a regular verse to me if I read it wrong. And then I got these biases. I got all this, this Western world, male, Hispanic, world view on life so I got so many things that I can use the scripture I love this is my favorite verse I think it's me and Lisa's I can do all things through a Bible verse taken out of context it's so easy to do that it's very hard to be faithful and steward and say no Lord your word tell me 
what I'm supposed to say and do and be. Let me understand your context here. And, and then the simple rule of thumb there is, at the end of the day, like, I, I don't study Greek and Hebrew. I'm not there. But I do lean on other experts. And so I advise you, search for scholars, not theologians. Theologians will give you churchianity. They will give you church doctrine. They will give you church traditions. But all those things, like scholars study, like I knew a professor who went and did archaeological digs and understood what it was like to live in that time. That's a different perspective. That's not, he's not looking to seek doctrine and prove things. So study scholars. I, you know, I always talk about Tim Mackey up here. You could also study Michael Heiser. I think N.T. Wright is a big one of yours, Pastor Marquez. And just look up Bible scholars, Bible studies, and look up context. Like there's so many things, but I just, I don't want to spend too much time there, but study scripture the right way, <laughs> rightly. Take the time. The way that I heard it best is every time we read the Bible, it's a cross-cultural experience. We're understanding someone's culture. And how do we love our neighbor? We take the time to know what their culture was like. Um, and the last thing, most difficult thing, I'll be honest. Is fellowship being with people I always tell you guys I'm good until people there's nothing that exposes you more there's nothing that opens you up to being more vulnerable like like I, I've never I don't think I've ever triggered myself I've never just been like you made me remember that time my dad spoke to me like, like I've never done that it's only ever been people that have made me aware of my daddy issues and, and my mommy issues and my family issues. It's only ever been other people that when I have to trust people and then they inevitably let me down because they're human too. Like there's nothing like people that will expose and show and show everything that you need to take to God. And that's the hard part. But there's also like we were wired to be together. And there's also nothing like being with people that will reveal God's Holy Spirit and show you and just be there for you. And sometimes God will speak to you through another person. Like you'll just see someone do something and you'll be like, wow, that's how God loves. Like the way that person loves their kids. Like that's how God loves. And you know what? You know what else? In all of these scriptures that I unpacked where Holy Spirit showed up, nobody was in isolation. No, Holy Spirit did not show up to any person by themselves. He showed up in a group of people together. And, and dare I say that that's, that's the full testimony, proof positive when Jesus says where two or more people are gathered in my name, there I will be. That there he was, that it was when the Jewish people were there together fellowshipping that Holy Spirit descended. That it was when Cornelius and all his people were together listening to Peter that Holy Spirit descended. That every Sunday when we're here, that every time we're in community group, every time we break bread together as fellow believers, there Holy Spirit comes through. And when we're in tune, we become so much aware, so much more aware of our access that we have. Because we're the temple. This is, this is where God resides now. Right here. Touch your heart. Right here. That this is where God dwells now. And you're the temple. But sometimes, even though God dwells here, this thing 
this thing can make me feel like I'm unworthy, like I'm a bad temple, like God's probably, oh, maybe, maybe God dwells in them, but not in me, because you don't know what I did, and you don't know what I'm struggling with, and you know how I acted the other day. And so this thing can convince me that God's no longer here. But the more I'm repeating these habits, the more I become aware that that's not even possible because the veil has been torn. See, when you read 2 Corinthians, that veil, that veil, what that was, if you were Jewish, what did you know? That that veil was set up in the tabernacle and it was the last barrier between humans and God's presence that in the tabernacle you would go past the veil and now be in the holy of holies the place where God dwells but 2 Corinthians 3 says this we can all draw close to him with the veil removed from our faces and with no veil we all become like mirrors who brightly reflect the glory of the Lord Jesus we are being transfigured into his very image as we move from one brighter level of glory to another. As we move from one brighter level of glory to another. And this glorious transfiguration comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. It doesn't come from your mind and what your mind says and, and your works. It, it, it comes from the Spirit. That that veil, whatever has ever kept us away from God, is no longer there. And now we're mirrors. There's no barrier. And so now we're mirrors that can fully reflect God and Jesus. Because what the Spirit of, of God has always been, has been the presence of God. You see it all through Genesis as the Spirit of God hovers. It has always been the presence of God. And it's through Him. I said that the, the, the Spirit makes the life of Jesus alive in us. And look what it says. This all comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. What, but what's coming from the Lord? That we're being transfigured into His very image. Whose image? Jesus. And when we're aware of the Holy Spirit, we can be aware of the transfiguration that's happening each and every day of our lives, each and every day. And so you may have some setbacks, but when you're aware of the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit will show you, like, no, 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 look at how much I've changed you. Look at how much you've been transfiguring. Look at how much more you reflect. You see, it doesn't say to one glory. It says, it says brighter, move from one brighter level of glory to another. So maybe, maybe you didn't feel like you progressed, but look, you're, you're still moving from one level to another. And when we're in tune with the Holy Spirit, we're in tune with the work that he's doing within us. And we're in tune that there's nothing, we're understanding that there's nothing that can take that away from us. Because I think we fall into a trap thinking that because Holy Spirit is in me, I have to reach a certain level. It needs to look like this. I think because I'm called to be a preacher, I have that looks a certain way. And if it's not matching that way, then I'm not having an impact that I'm supposed to have. But God didn't call Adam and Eve to be famous, to be wealthy, to, no, no he, he called them to just live life, really. What were the commands? Be fruitful, be multi multiply, subdue the earth, have dominion. 
to just live life with him. And, and, and I said that this is the moment we've all been waiting for. And this is the moment that us and God would just get to be together. Now with the Holy Spirit, I think what is the, the most powerful thing the Holy Spirit does? I really think he uh, makes us aware that God is with us. He makes us aware that he's with us, that he's all around us, that he's right here. And there's something about being in the presence of God, reflecting his glory, that, that reminds us like, oh wait, those things don't matter. Like it doesn't matter my credit score or where I'm at or if I've achieved the things that I said I was going to achieve by this age or if it's too late for me to do this and oh, I should, I've missed my window, I, I should have been successful. Like oh, it doesn't matter because the presence of God is with me. And like that's all that matters. Like who cares? Who cares if daddy is right here dancing before me and we just get to be with him? Who It, it all falls away. That's the most powerful thing that we can do is simply be in his presence and allow his love to saturate us and empower us. Could you stand with me as we pray and get ready to worship? Lord, I just, I just ask that you will fill us with your Holy Spirit today not for something, not so that we can, no, no, that we can just simply be in your presence, that we can simply just be with you, that we can simply be more aware that you love us, you love us, you love us, and it's not our credentials that ever impacted or determined that, but it was always the credentials of Jesus that from this day forth, when we, when we talk about an outpouring of your Holy Spirit, we will know that means an outpouring of your presence, an outpouring of your love, an outpouring of your forgiveness, and an outpouring of your grace, that you are here. <laughs> Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. That we may know that you are here with us. I pray in your name, amen. One more prayer for anyone who wants to do this, who wants to give their life. And, and what that simply means is that you are like Cornelius. You're just seeking God. We never hear about Cornelius in the Bible ever again, to my knowledge. Like he doesn't go on and we just know he was a man who encountered the Holy Spirit and gave his life to Jesus. And that's, that's all we're signing you up for today. It, it, it's a, simply this. Are you looking for God? Do you want him in your life today? And so if that's you, I'm just going to count to three. And I, I, I only ask if you could raise your hand so that I can know who I'm praying for. Um, so if you could do that, I'm going to count to three. One, two, three. Right, with every head bowed, every eye closed, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lead us in a prayer. And so if you're accepting Jesus today, even online. You can say this at, um, at home as well. You repeat after me. Jesus, come into my life. Thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you for paving the way. Today, I accept your love and your grace. 
I am new. Today I choose to follow you, Jesus. In your name, amen. Once again, we want to thank you for tuning in. Subscribe now and stay connected to all of our latest messages. And if this message really blessed you, pass along the blessing by sharing it with a friend. We pray that you will be given the opportunity to apply this message, and we hope that you enjoy the rest of your day. God bless.